Welcome to the Prosperity Gap, where we discuss the financial gap that exists between you and your retirement. It's time to bridge that gap. Hello, everyone. Dave Hall, the Prosperity Guy. Welcome to the show. Hopefully you've had a good week. I know I have. I've been very busy. Tons of appointments. Everybody's trying to get their year-end planning done, make sure they're making the right decisions to get them to that tax-free and risk-free retirement. If you've not yet gone to my website, I invite you to do so, or you can take advantage of educational opportunities. You can sign up for the Prosperity Club, where you can get instant access to many of our education products, as well as being able to schedule a strategic session with myself, where I can help talk you through the various concepts that I share, help you better understand what it's going to take to get you to the retirement that you're trying to get to. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than we've done in the past. Today, I'm going to be sharing some of my favorite Christmas stories. Since the show is being aired on Christmas Day, I thought it would be fun to actually share some of the Christmas stories that have been a big part of my life, hopefully to give us a chance to rethink where we're at and really prepare ourselves as we look for the new year. The first story is called A Small Snow-Covered Tree by Daryl Smart. When we arrived at the cemetery, we were touched by what we found. One day, shortly before Christmas, our third child and first son, Bay, was born. As I said goodbye that evening to my exhausted but joyful wife and left the hospital, the warmth and joy that accompanied the birth of my son overwhelmed the cold chill of that clear December night. The following December, we celebrated the first birthday of our dark-eyed, dark-haired son. The day after Christmas, during an evening of games at the home of my in-laws, our revelry was interrupted by an awful shriek from my mother-in-law. He's not breathing. She had gone to check on Bay, who had been sleeping in our bed, and discovered his cold, lifeless body. We immediately rushed our son to the hospital, attempting CPR on the way. We were grief-stricken to learn that nothing could be done to save his life. He had died from sudden infant death syndrome. Since then, Christmas has been filled with a much deeper meaning for our family. Each year on Christmas Eve, when we take down our other children's stockings to fill them, One solitary stocking is left on the fireplace mantle. Throughout the remainder of the holiday, the stocking serves as a reminder of Bay. Each year around the time of Bay's birthday, my wife and I drive to the cemetery where he is buried. At each visit, we find that someone else has arrived before us and placed something on our son's grave. One year it was delicate small flowers, the next year a stuffed bear, the next a little Christmas tree decorated with miniature ornaments. We have no idea who is responsible. The gifts which touch us deeply are never accompanied by a note or card. When I handed to my mother-in-law that I knew her secret, she denied responsibility. The following year, while she and my father-in-law were serving a church mission abroad, we again found that someone had placed a gift on our son's grave. Even after inquiring with our other family members and friends, we were unable to solve the mystery. Ten years after our son's death, a series of snowstorms prevented us from traveling short distances. As a result, our annual visit to our son's gravesite was delayed until several days after Christmas. When we finally made it, we saw a small decorated Christmas tree, mostly buried in the snow, standing bravely at the head of Bay's small grave. The effort it must have taken for someone to get to the cemetery through the heavy snowfall overwhelmed us. Tears streamed down our faces as we realized that someone still shared our grief and loss. After that, we were more resolved than ever to discover the identity of our benefactor and thank him or her for showing us such compassion. But as we reflected more, we realized that whoever was doing these acts of kindness did not want to be identified. 
we decided to allow our friend to remain anonymous. We replaced our need to thank our friend with a desire to simply live better. It is now harder for us to speak ill of or criticize any of our family or friends, because any one of them may be our anonymous friend. Often while doing service, my wife and I pause to examine our hearts. Are we doing good things to be seen by others or for the pure love of Christ and for our fellow men? For us, charity, humble and never seeking its own, is symbolized by a beautifully decorated Christmas tree, half buried in snow, resting in a quiet cemetery. A brother like that. A friend of mine named Paul received a new car from his brother as a pre-Christmas present. On Christmas Eve, when Paul came out of his office, a street urchin was walking around the shiny new car, admiring it. Is this your car, mister? He asked. Paul nodded. My brother gave it to me for Christmas. The boy looked astounded. You mean your brother gave it to you and it didn't cost you anything? Gosh, I wish. He hesitated and Paul knew what he was going to wish. He was going to wish he had a brother like that, but what the lad said jarred Paul all the way down to his heels. I wish, the boy went on, that I could be a brother like that. Paul looked at the boy in astonishment, then impulsively added, would you like a ride in my new car? Oh yes, I'd love that. After a short ride, the boy turned and with his eyes aglow said, mister, would you mind driving in front of my house? Paul smiled a little bit. He thought he knew what the lad wanted. He wanted to show his neighbors that he could ride home in a big automobile. But Paul was wrong. Will you stop right where those steps are, the boy asked. He ran up the steps. Then in a little while, Paul heard him coming back. But he was not coming fast. He was carrying his little polio crippled brother. He sat down on the bottom step, then sort of squeezed up right against him and pointed to the car. There she is, buddy just like I told you upstairs. His brother gave it to him for Christmas and it didn't cost him a cent. And someday I'm going to give you one just like it. Then you can see for yourself all the pretty things in the Christmas windows that I've been trying to tell you about. Paul got out and lifted the little lad into the front seat of his car. The shining-eyed older brother climbed in beside him and the three of them began a memorable holiday ride. That Christmas Eve, Paul learned what Jesus meant when he said... It's more blessed to give. A Christmas Adventure I remember my first Christmas adventure with Grandma. I was a kid. I remember tearing across town on my bike to visit her on the day my big sister dropped the bomb. There is no Santa Claus, she jeered. Even dummies know that. My grandma was not the gushy kind, never had been. I fled to her that day because I knew she would be straight with me. I knew Grandma always told the truth, and I knew that the truth always went down a whole lot easier when swallowed with one of her world-famous cinnamon buns. I knew they were world-famous because Grandma said so. It had to be true. Grandma was home, and the buns were still warm. Between bites, I told her everything. She was ready for me. No Santa Claus? She snorted. Ridiculous. Don't believe it. That rumor has been going around for years, and it makes me mad, plain mad. Now put on your coat. Let's go. Go? Go where, Grandma? I asked. I hadn't even finished my second world-famous cinnamon bun. Where it turned out to be Kirby's General Store, the one store in town that had a little bit of just about everything. As we walked through its doors, Grandma handed me $20. That was a bundle in those days. 
Take this money, she said, and buy something for someone who needs it. I'll wait for you in the car. Then she turned and walked out of Kirby's. I was only eight years old. I'd often gone shopping with my mother, but never had I shopped for anything all by myself. The store seemed big and crowded, full of people scrambling to finish their Christmas shopping. For a few moments, I just stood there, confused, clutching the $20 bill, wondering what to buy and who on earth to buy it for. I thought of everybody I knew, my family, my friends, my neighbors, the kids at school, and the people who went to my church. I was just about thought out when I suddenly thought of Bobby Decker. He was a kid with bad breath and messy hair, and he sat right behind me in Mrs. Pollock's grade two class. Bobby Decker didn't have a coat. I knew that because he never went out to recess during the winter. His mother always wrote a note telling the teacher that he had a cough. But all we kids knew that Bobby Decker didn't have a cough. He didn't have a good coat. I fingered the $20 bill with growing excitement. I would buy Bobby Decker a coat. I settled on a red corduroy one that had a hood up to it. It looked real warm, and he would like that. Is this a Christmas present for someone? The lady behind the counter asked kindly as I laid my $20 down. Yes, ma'am, I replied shyly. It's for Bobby. The nice lady smiled at me. As I told her about how Bobby really needed a good winter coat, I didn't get any change. But she put the coat in a bag, smiled again, and wished me a Merry Christmas. That evening, Grandma helped me wrap the coat in Christmas paper and ribbons and wrote, To Bobby from Santa Claus on it. Grandma said that Santa always insists on secrecy. Then she drove me over to Bobby Decker's house, explaining as we went that I was now and forever officially one of Santa's helpers. Grandma parked down the street from Bobby's house, and she and I crept noiselessly and hid in the bushes by his front walk. Then Grandma gave me a nudge. All right, Santa Claus, she whispered. Get going. I took a deep breath, dashed for his front door, threw the present down on his step, pounded his door, and flew back to the safety of the bushes and Grandma. Together we waited breathlessly in the darkness for the front door to open. Finally it did, and there stood Bobby. Fifty years haven't dimmed the thrill of those moments spent shivering beside my grandma in Bobby Decker's bushes. That night I realized that those awful rumors about Santa Claus were just what grandma said they were. Ridiculous. Santa was alive and well, and we were on his team. May we always have love to share, health to spare, and friends that care. The Dime Bobby was getting cold sitting out in his backyard in the snow. Bobby didn't wear boots. He didn't like them, and anyways, he didn't own any. The thin sneakers he wore had few holes in them, and they did a poor job of keeping out the cold. Bobby had been in his backyard for about an hour already. And try as he might, he could not come up with an idea for his mother's Christmas gift. He shook his head as he thought, This is useless. Even if I do come up with an idea, I don't have any money to spend. Ever since his father had passed away three years ago, the family of five had struggled. It wasn't because his mother didn't care or try, there just never seemed to be enough. She worked nights at the hospital, but the small wages that she was earning could only be stretched so far. What the family lacked in money and material things, they more than made up for in love and family unity. Bobby had two older and younger sisters who ran the household in their mother's absence. All three of his sisters had already made beautiful gifts for their mother. Somehow, it just wasn't fair. Here it was Christmas Eve already, and he had nothing. Wiping a tear from his eye, Bobby kicked the snow and started to walk down to the street where the shops and stores were. 
It wasn't easy being six without a father, especially when he needed a man to talk to. Bobby walked from shop to shop, looking into each decorated window. Everything seemed so beautiful and so out of reach. It was starting to get dark and Bobby reluctantly turned to walk home when suddenly his eyes caught the glimmer of the setting sun rays reflecting off of something along the curb. He reached down and discovered a shiny dime. Never before had anyone felt so wealthy as Bobby felt at that moment. As he held his newfound treasure, a warmth spread throughout his entire body, and he walked into the first store he saw. His excitement quickly turned cold when the salesperson told him that he couldn't buy anything with only a dime. He saw a flower shop, and he went inside to wait in line. When the shop owner asked if he could help him, Bobby presented the dime and asked if he could buy one flower for his mother's Christmas gift. The shop owner looked at Bobby in his 10-cent offering. Then he put his hand on Bobby's shoulder and said to him, You just wait here, and I'll see what I can do for you. As Bobby waited, he looked at the beautiful flowers, and even though he was a boy, he could see why mothers and girls like flowers. The sound of the door closing as the last customer left jolted Bobby back to reality. All alone in the shop, Bobby began to feel alone and afraid. Suddenly, the shop owner came out and moved to the counter. There before Bobby's eyes lay 12 long-stemmed red roses with leaves of green and tiny white flowers all tied together with a big silver bow. Bobby's heart sank as the owner picked them up and placed them gently into a long white box. That will be 10 cents, young man, the shop owner said, reaching out his hand for the dime. Slowly, Bobby moved his hand to give the man his dime. Could this be true? No one else would give him a thing for his dime. Sensing the boy's reluctance, the shop owner added, I just happened to have some roses on sale for 10 cents a dozen. Wouldn't you like them? This time, Bobby did not hesitate, and when the man placed the long box into his hands, he knew it was true. Walking out the door that the owner was holding for Bobby, he heard the shopkeeper say, Merry Christmas, son. As he returned inside, the shopkeeper's wife walked out. Who were you talking to back there, and where are the roses you were fixing? Staring out the window and blinking the tears from his own eyes, he replied, A strange thing happened to me this morning. While I was setting up things to open the shop, I thought I heard a voice telling me to set aside a dozen of my best roses for a special gift. I wasn't sure at the time whether I had lost my mind or what, but I set them aside anyway. Then just a few minutes ago, a little boy came into the shop and wanted to buy a flower for his mother with one small dime. When I looked at him, I saw myself many years ago. I too was a poor boy with nothing to buy my mother a Christmas gift. A bearded man whom I never knew stopped me on the street and told me that he wanted to give me $10. When I saw that little boy tonight, I knew who that voice was, and I put together a dozen of my very best roses. The shop owner and his wife hugged each other tightly, and as they stepped out into the bitter cold air, they somehow didn't feel cold at all. A Christmas Scout Story In spite of the fun and laughter, 13-year-old Frank Wilson was not happy. It was true he had received all the presents he wanted, and he enjoyed the traditional Christmas Eve reunions with relatives for the purpose of exchanging gifts and good wishes. But Frank was not happy because this was his first Christmas without his brother Steve, who during the year had been killed by a reckless driver. Frank missed his brother and the close relationship they had together. Frank said goodbye to his relatives and explained to his parents that he was leaving a little early to see a friend. And from there, he would walk home. Since it was cold outside, Frank put on his new plaid jacket. It was his favorite gift. He placed the other presents on his new sled. Then Frank headed out, hoping to find the patrol leader of his Boy Scout troop. 
Frank always felt understood by him. Though rich in wisdom, he lived in the flats, the section of town where most of the poor lived, and his patrol leader did odd jobs to help support his family. To Frank's disappointment, his friend was not at home. As Frank hiked down the street towards home, he caught glimpses of trees and decorations in many of the small houses. Then through one front window, he glimpsed a shabby room with limp stockings hanging over an empty fireplace. A woman was seated nearby weeping. The stockings reminded him of the way he and his brother had always hung there side by side. The next morning, they would be bursting with presents. A sudden thought struck Frank. He had not done his good deed for the day. Before the impulse passed, he knocked on the door. Yes? The sad voice of the woman asked, May I come in? asked Frank. You are very welcome, she said, seeing his sled full of gifts and assuming he was making a collection. But I have no food or gifts for you. I have nothing for my own children. That's not why I'm here, Frank replied. Please choose whatever present you would like for your children from the sled. Why, God bless you. The amazed woman answered gratefully. She selected some candies, a game, the toy airplane, and a puzzle. When she took the scout flashlight, Frank almost cried out. Finally, the stockings were full. Won't you tell me your name, she asked as Frank was leaving. Just call me the Christmas Scout, he replied. The visit left Frank touched, and with an unexpected flicker of joy in his heart, he understood that his sorrow was not the only sorrow in the world. Before he left the flats, he had given away the remainder of his gifts. The plaid jacket had gone to a shivering boy. Now Frank trudged homeward, cold and uneasy. How could he explain to his parents that he had given his presents away? Where are your presents, son? asked his father as Frank entered the house. Frank answered, I gave them away. The airplane from Aunt Susan? Your coat from Grandma? Your flashlight? We thought you were happy with your gifts. I was very happy, the boy answered quietly. But Frank, how can you be so impulsive, his mother asked. How will you explain to the relatives who spent so much time and gave so much love shopping for you? His father was firm. You made your choice, Frank. We cannot afford any more presents. With his brother gone and his family disappointed in him, Frank suddenly felt dreadfully alone. He had not expected a reward for his generosity, for he knew that a good deed always should be its own reward. It would be tarnished otherwise. So he did not want his gifts back. However, he wondered if he would ever again truly recapture joy in his life. He thought he had this evening, but it had been fleeting. Frank thought of his brother and sobbed himself to sleep. The next morning, he came downstairs to find his parents listening to Christmas music on the radio. Then the announcer spoke. Merry Christmas, everybody. The nicest Christmas story we have this morning comes from the flats. A crippled boy down there has a new sled this morning. Another youngster has a fine plaid jacket. And several families report their children were made happy last night by gifts from a teenage boy who simply called himself the Christmas Scout. No one could identify him, but the children of the flats claimed that the Christmas Scout was a personal representative of old Santa Claus himself. Frank felt his father's arm go around his shoulders, and he saw his mother smiling through her tears. Why didn't you tell us? We didn't understand. We are so proud of you, son. The carols came over the air again, filling the room with music. Praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. A Boy Learns a Lesson by Thomas S. Monson In about my tenth year as Christmas approached, I longed for an electric train. The times were those of economic depression, yet mother and dad purchased for me a lovely electric train. Christmas morning came bright and early and I was thrilled when I noticed my train. 
The next few hours were devoted to operating the transformer and watching the engine pull its cars forward, then backwards around the track. Mother said that she had purchased a wind-up train for the widow Hanson's boy Mark, who lived down the lane at Gell Street. As I looked at his train, I noted a tanker car which I much admired. I put up such a fuss that my mother succumbed to my pleadings and gave me the tanker car. I put it with my train set and felt pleased. Mother and I took the remaining cars and the engine down to Mark Hansen. The young boy was a year or two older than I was. He had never anticipated such a gift. He was thrilled beyond words. He wound the key to his engine, it not being electric nor expensive like mine, and was overjoyed as the engine and three cars plus a caboose went around the track. I felt a horrible sense of guilt as I returned home. The tanker car no longer appealed to me. Suddenly, I took the tanker car in my hand, plus an additional car of my own, and ran all the way down to Gale Street and proudly announced to Mark, we forgot to bring two cars which belonged to your train. I don't know when a deed had made me feel any better than that experience as a 10-year-old boy. Prosperity Nation, those are some of my favorite Christmas stories. I hope that you guys have an amazing Christmas, that you have a great upcoming new year. If there's anything I can do to help you to make your retirement better, please feel free to go to my website, theprosperityguy.com, where I will be there to make sure you have a bright and joyful 2021. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Prosperity Gap. To learn more about The Prosperity Guy, visit theprosperityguy.com and find out how you can get a tax-free and risk-free retirement.